I'm supposed to give a devotional, and that in itself becomes a challenge for me because, I mean, there's all kind of ideas that people have in their head what a devotional is. And, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who always wants to know, well, what do you want me to do? Go, what, are, what are the parameters? And tell me some things, what you want me to do. Like I was going to speak when our, in our hometown when First Baptist called me to come speak to their young couples group. And I said, so what do you want me to speak on and how long do you want me to talk? So they told me what they wanted me to speak on. They said, well, you know, as far as the time, just do like you do at your church, just like a regular sermon. And I said, well, at my church, a regular sermon is 45, 50 minutes long. And they said, well, then do a Baptist sermon, right? (laughs) 25 minutes. So I think a devotional must be like a Baptist sermon, right? I don't know. For all kinds of ideas that people have in their mind that can sometimes refer to a just a time alone with the Lord, that's a devotional time. It can refer to something you do as a family when you have family devotions, you do with a group at camp. It can mean all kinds of things. But So what I want to do is I want to hopefully do what fits the perimeter of, of calling you devotionally to an application of God's Word. And I want to do that in such a way that really will sometimes come across sounding like I'm teaching you. Other times it's going to sound like he's preaching now. But in the end, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do what this whole school was founded on and what we all came here for, and that is so that we might affectionately worship and love Christ more. That we might find that whatever that truth is we draw our attention to, it literally ignites in us a fresh longing and a passion and a desire so that we say, I want to be more like him. Everything in me is just crying out, make me more like you. That's what I hope. Whatever this sounds like, a sermon, whether it sounds like preaching or teaching, in the end, if we can get to that point, I think we will have been devotionally drawn to the place we need to be. And in order for us to do that, I have just one passage that I want us to look at, and particularly just one verse. It's found in a book that I think will help us really highlight what it means to really realize that Jesus is better than anything else in the world. And it's why he is so satisfying to us. It is why we so long to know more of him because Jesus is better than you fill in the blank. And we know that and we've learned that and we've been taught that. And the book that I think that does that most for us is the book of Hebrews. And I want us to turn to the last chapter of that book, Hebrews chapter 13. And I'm going to read just for context sake, verses 7 through 9. But I actually want us to focus over. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. And so we come to an end of a book that has 12 chapters that have led us up to these final exhortations in this chapter. And they're just one after the other, and they seem so disconnected, so like unrelated. How does verse 1 really connect up with the next verse and the next verse and the next verse? And yet what this verse is telling us to do here is to imitate someone. To consider somebody, to to not forget, but to remember someone, those who have spoke the word of God to us and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. 
So maybe if I was going to give a title to this devotion, I would call it Things Worth Remembering. Things Worth Remembering. Things Worth Holding On To. Things to never, ever, ever forget. Now, that's not uncommon in people's life. Everybody is trying to imitate and mimic and be like somebody, right? I mean, there's even a, a term that the secular world uses for it. It's called mirroring. You see something in someone and you go, I want to be like that. I want to look like that. And it, it covers every world thing that goes on. Whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, whether it's writing. It's just those people have somehow captured me so that I want to be like them. And it's not just something that the world does, brothers and sisters. It's something, if we're not careful, careful, we fall into the trap and misunderstand what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do. And he says, be like so, and so imitate somebody. Yeah, we all do that. We find preachers. We want to be like our pastors or a woman speaker of a conference. Oh, I want to be like that. Or a worship leader or an author. The list goes on and on and on. Or we look at a family or an individual and say, if we could just be like that. And we try to mirror it. We want to model it. We want to become like that. And it's a, it's a subtle trap that we can fall into. You know, we've been here at EI long enough to know that you don't want to become like men. You want to become like the Savior, right? But that, that's, that trap, that tendency to be drawn that way is so easy to fall into. I remember after we left EI 35, 36 years ago, and we did this church plant, Pam comes to me one day and Pam says, Kevin, um, you've kind of got an Australian accent now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not me. I'm not doing that. Yeah, you, you're, you're trying to be Mr. Carroll. <laughs> ah, just fell into that trap. So obviously the writer of Hebrews here is not telling us to look at someone and idolize them and want to be like them. They're so profound in our thinking that we say, oh, if I could just be like that, then I would be something. That can't be what he means when he says, imitate them, be like them. There's a saying I heard a long time ago, and it goes like this, that if you try to become profound, you'll eventually become unsound. And that's really important. What that means is you'll become spiritually unhealthy because you're just trying to model a person. If you seek to be profound, eventually you'll become unsound. So this writer is not telling us that kind of imitating and modeling. But I think there's another error we might go to and another extreme that we might go to on this. And that is, you know, I'm never really going to value or appreciate any other brother or sister in a way that I say I'd really like to be like them. So on the one hand, people are trying to model and mimic some actor, some entertainer, some athlete. And we go, that's all wrong. Don't be like men. And we go, but let's just kind of downplay the aspect of really valuing the people that God has put in our life. And we forget that there is a place, a rightful place, not to model a man, but to model what you see in that person. And to want to be more and more like that. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. You see, everything about this book is screaming at us that, listen, Jesus is better. Jesus is the best. He is the most important thing. And here's one way you might learn to follow him even better. Look at the people whose faith you would like to model. Who love the Savior. Who long to please the Savior. Who wanted to be 
a lover of Christ. And so in this book, as he has unpacked it, showing us that Jesus in these first 12 chapters is the best, Jesus is better than any of of the prophets who have gone before. All the prophets that are listed in there, and he talks about, they were men whom God had sent, but this was God whom had come to be among us. Jesus is not just another prophet. He is God in flesh. He is God himself come to speak to us, to reveal the truth of who God is. And that makes him better because he's not just another prophet. He is the prophet. He is God's son sent. And he's a better priest, the writer tells us in this book. A better priest than all the priests, Aaron and all his sons and everybody who was a part of that priesthood. He is far better than them because those priests would come and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people and for themselves. But this priest doesn't come to offer a sacrifice for himself because he is not a sinner. He is a God. He is God in flesh. He is holy. He is perfect. He is the Savior. And He Himself, the priest, comes to be the sacrifice. That makes Him far better. There's nobody like this, Jesus. There is no prophet like this. There is no one who's ever spoken to the world like this. Jesus is better, a better prophet than any of their prophets. He's a better priest. And then He works His way through this book and says, and the way we are to live is a better way than anybody has ever understood in this world. And that is the principle of living by faith. Chapter 11, going forward, he just starts talking about these people of faith. They are an example to us. You're surrounded by them. They've been there. Look at these people who have run the race. Now, that means you can run the race. So endure the race. Run the race. Don't despise the discipline. Don't despise the struggles that you go through in life. Running the race is hard, but they made it, and you can make it. So see, as he's talked about how great Jesus is as the, as the prophet and as the priest, a better priest and a better prophet than it, the world has ever known. And it draws us to him and we love him and, and we delight in him. He starts using people to show us how we also learn to follow him better. Hebrews 11, that hall of faith. Look at all of the examples of those who have led and followed in that way. Look at what it means to endure and run the race, chapter 12. And then he comes to these exhortations here in chapter 13. And here is what he's telling us here. These are things about our lives that really display that we really are those who love Christ, who want to please him in all the areas of our life. That's why he is, again, it seems like disconnected exhortations. But in chapter 13, each of these are like things that are important, the things that are of, of significance. They are evidences that we really are loving Christ. And there are means that, and things that we really want to make sure that Christ is seen in, in those areas. Like verse 1, love the brethren. Let the love of the brethren continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You go, what's that got to do with it? Well, that's just showing that Christ is really ruling and reigning in your heart and life. And that because he is in you, these things start showing up in you. Remember the prisoners, verse 3. Marriage is to be honorable among all. Make sure, verse 5, that your character is free from the love of money. And then he comes on down into verse 7 and says, and remember those who led you see all of that is just his way of saying these are examples these are evidences here of what it looks like now that you've looked at these people who have run the race you know it's an endurance that you have to really persevere in now i want you to give these examples in all the areas of your life that you truly love christ 
And one of the ways, verse 7, to help us see what it looks like is to remember those who've gone before us. And let them spur us and encourage us along the way to be more like the Savior. So, when we come to this verse, I want you to just, just kind of, at this devotional kind of moment of our time, let your mind start thinking about how powerful and important it is to remember. That's a key word right there, remember. And it's not just like, remember, like, oh yeah, I remember that person. Oh, I remember that person. That's not what it's about at all. Like if I said to Pam, or she said to me on December the 20th in a couple of months, you know what today is? I go, it's December the 20th. And she goes, yeah, but, oh, that's right. It's our anniversary. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) That is not at all what this word means. Like just to call the fact back. I remember. What he's talking about is that remembrance there is something that should kindle fondness in your heart. It should cause you to feel something of a fresh affection. It should move you to do something. Like I should be going in and getting a card, maybe getting some flowers, maybe going out for dinner that night on our anniversary. It should affect me so that I'm not just remembering it in my mind, but I'm remembering it in such a way that it moves me to do something about it. And the Bible is full of that, isn't it? All the way through, I think over about 250 times, that word remembrance shows up. And it's a big word in Scripture. Like God tells the children of Israel when he takes them out of Egypt, remember this day. Don't forget this day. And it wasn't them saying, oh, that's right, we're we're doing the Passover. We remember that. It's remember this day when I took you out of bondage, when I removed you from the slavery. Let that impact you. Let that affect you. Don't just acknowledge it as something that happened factually, but let it move you, let it stir you, let it change you. He told the children of Israel to remember the Sabbath. Why? So that you might keep it and be holy. When he brought them into the land of the promise, he told them to remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, but remember all that I, the commandments that I gave you. Never forget, he says, but remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness. And in the Passover, that annual feast of theirs, it was their time to remember that they were once slaves and God brought them out of that darkness, out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. See, remembrance is not just recalling a fact, but it's remembering in such a way that it, brings back fond and fresh remembrance and affects you and works to change your life. I mean, think about this. You know the passage in the New Testament when Jesus said, if you go to offer your gift and there you remember that you have aught against your brother, go do something about it. See, remembrance always leads to doing something. Right? And when we remember the Lord's Supper, again, it's not just remembering a fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose, and he's coming again. It is true, that's all true, but that should do more than just be a fact that we are recalling. It should be a remembrance that really is designed to stir us and affect us and lead us to do something. You know, I was thinking about reunions and high school reunions and 
stuff. And you, if you remember back in the day when you were in middle school, high school, or wherever you went to school, whatever they called it in your day, back in my day, that's what they called it, <laughs> you know, junior high and high school. And at the end of that period of time, we had these things called yearbooks, right? And we were all signing these yearbooks. And they're writing statements in those yearbooks that say things like this. Don't forget me. Remember me. Remember that time we had? And, and they put him wherever that was. And they weren't just saying, just don't just intellectually remember, factually recall something. They were saying, I want you to have a fond remembrance, an affectionate remembrance. I want you to let what we were and what we experienced somehow touch your life. And so the writer of Hebrews, look again at verse 7, calls us to remember those who led you and who spoke the word of God to you. Those who led them to Christ could have been one of the apostles. We don't know who he's referring to here. But these people, whoever they were, spoke God's word to them. In other words, led them to Christ and taught them and showed them how to grow and become more like Christ. It could, it could and it might mean he's referring to the, uh, to the elders. Because down in verse 17 of this chapter, he talks about obeying your leaders and being submissive to them. It could mean them. But when he says just remember those, I think this is a pretty broad category. For them, it could be the apostles. For them, it could be their elders. But I think it goes beyond that. It could be anyone who has impacted our life, who has brought us to Christ and taught us more of how to be like Christ. He wants us to never forget them. He wants us to remember them. They led you to Christ and they helped you grow in your walk with him through the word. Could be a Sunday school teacher, right? Could be your parents. Could be a grandparent. Could be someone in the church. Could be a missionary. It could be a teacher. Listen, as I look on this crowd, my mind immediately starts thinking of people. People at EI, people who are staff, people who have been students, who as I look back in those 35 years and I start remembering and I start thinking about them, it does more than just say, oh yeah, I I remember that class they taught me. It did something for me. Every remembrance of it still impacts me. It still calls fresh love and devotion for Christ every time I think back on their life and how they impacted me. Now, there are some things that... I remember that impacted me in a way that that probably didn't make me more like Christ. Like one day out there on that volleyball field. (laughs) So Mr. Carroll back in the day still played volleyball. And first week of school, first day of school, I'm on Mr. Carroll's team. Now here's the deal about Kevin. Kevin played basketball, baseball, and football. Every one of those sports, you hold the ball. (laughs) Never played volleyball in my life. So I'm out there first week, Mr. Carroll's team, and the other team's really bright. They figured out real quickly, he doesn't know how to play volleyball. (laughs) So here they go, boom. And Mr. Carroll is the set man, and it comes to me, and I push it like a basketball pass right to him. He walks over, he says, get the ball up. Got it. (laughs) Next serve, boom. I said, get the ball up. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) He served that sucker to me again. Boom. He he said, this is the third time I have told you, get the ball up. If you don't get the ball up, you're going to sit on the sideline and you're going to watch this game. You're killing us, man. You are killing us. And he just walks back over there like that. Serve it. (laughs) 
I'm telling you, there was no response to be like Jesus at that moment in my heart. I'm thinking, I'm paying for this? I left my good making money job in my career to get screamed at on a volleyball court? But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. When Mr. Carroll came into that classroom and he said these things like this. If you guys can't take me on the volleyball court, you should pack your bags and leave and never go into ministry. Because if you think I'm tough on you, you have no idea what tough is going to be. And I can thank God a thousand times over in my 35 years of ministry and pastoral ministry and counseling and discipling and training and traveling that I am thankful for him doing that that day. That God used that in my life as I remember that challenge that I thought was just so bad was something God used to bring about in my life a fond remembrance of how important it is to really to persevere in the faith, to not give up and not to quit. Now, I'm sure there could have been a better technique. <laughs> I would have liked a different technique, but it did work, and it impacted my life in that way. And so it's not, it doesn't just stop there. As I remember and I think back on those who are influential and impacted my life, who led me and who spoke the word of God to me, it says here that what I want to do is consider something. Consider the result of their conduct. Now listen to this. Not that, well, that person's a nice person, so I want to learn to be nice. That person is a sweet person, so I want to learn to be sweet. No, what he says is, consider the result of their conduct Imitate their faith. Look at how they lived, and it's tied to their faith in Christ and their love for Christ, their devotion for Christ, their longing to want to please Christ. That's what I wanted to do and impact you, he says, in that way. As you think about whether that's the apostles, you think about your elders and your pastors, you think about whoever that person is, you think about the staff and those that have been involved in your life around here. When you think about that, what I want you to do is I want you to look at how they lived their life and and pay attention to the way their faith expressed itself. Because that's what I want you to pick up on. And that's what I want their lives to impact you with. I want you to remember it so that your faith will be like that. Loving Christ. Loyal to Christ. Devoted to Christ. Wanting to please Him. You know, and I can think through my 42 years as a believer now. And think of the list of those people that I've read and I've learned from. Whether it's Spurgeon or Luther or Calvin or Edwards or Piper or MacArthur. And the list could go on. What they have done is they have motivated me to want to say, I want to believe the word like that. I want to be strong in the scriptures like that. I want to imitate their faith and their walk with the Lord. When I think about my years at EI here, and I think back on those and how the people were here and affected me. As I said, Mr. Carroll just instilled in me this passion to never quit, to never give up to a faith that would endure and would press on. When I think of like sitting in arts class and, and Dan Johnson's class and, and Ed Ellis over here, I just sometimes like I just find myself saying, wow, these guys, I know what it takes to get a sermon together. I know what it takes to exegete a passage. I know the time that it takes to really get it right. And to think of the hours of their lives that they poured themselves into teaching and, 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 and proclaiming the word to us, showing me what it meant to follow Christ. My heart just started screaming out, Lord, I want to be like that. I'm not trying to be 
you put in the blank that person, but I want to imitate their faith. I want what they live like, what mattered to them. I want it to matter to me. God, please let that impact me is what I do. And then there's Mr. Stair. I'm telling you what, I was convinced the man was not real. Some of you escaped sitting, coming into this room, exercising every morning, and then hearing these words, follow me. And that meant you ran, and you ran, and you ran. And by the way, Mr. Stair, I saw a telephone pole laying down here on the side of the road, because he had us carry a telephone pole one day back up here, because he needed a telephone pole, and he had gotten permission to get the pole. So here we come, running up the road. And I'm again thinking, I'm paying for this. This is not, what is Bible college? What Bible college do you go haul telephone poles at? That just didn't make sense. But again, I looked at the endurance and the faithfulness of man, his love for Christ. And my heart said, Lord, I want to be like that. I long to want to do what Hebrews 13, 7 is saying. I see the result of their conduct. I want to imitate their faith. Whether it's the the then Miss Gaston, Miss Haley, Miss Richardson, all of them who were in our lives. Just how they wove their love for Christ and their passion for Christ to do all that they did. That should make my heart and cause my heart to cry out to them. When I think back on those examples, that's something the writer of Hebrew is saying. You should want to model like that. You shouldn't be afraid to let the life that people live in a faithfulness to God and a love for Christ be something you discount and just kind of ignore. It's not exalting a man. It's exalting the Savior. It's wanting to be like the Savior that they love. It's what Paul was saying when he said, be like me even as I am like follow Christ. Follow me even as I follow Christ. It's not that we're following Paul. We're following the way Paul follows Christ. That should impact us. That's what he is saying here. One final little story has nothing to do with you, but it just has been a fresh reminder in our own hometown about the importance of remembering the example of those whose lives were marked by faith in Christ, love for Christ, desire to please Christ, to keep leaning on and continually abiding in Him. A girl in our town, uh, her name is Alyssa Patterson. Alyssa Patterson was a beautiful young girl, married to a a great-looking guy, love of her life. And little did she know that in her growing up years, that reading a book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed would have had an impact on her life just recently. The love of her life, three weeks after marriage, just three weeks, tragically killed in a boat accident. It's a book that she has now penned called Until Heaven Parts Us. It tells of her love for Chandler, her husband, and what it's like to lose the love of your life and yet find the greatest love of all and the greatest hope of all. And when I see someone go through loss like that, and I look at that in my congregation, I look at that in my community, I go, you know, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Don't forget that. Look at that. Watch that. Pay attention to that because... That's a way I'm going to help you grow to be more like Christ, to endure your trials more in love with the Savior and more content with Him, even in the worst of times that you go through. So I'd like to suggest just maybe two things here as we close.
this weekend, if you're here, you have opportunity to do some remembering. And again, I just would strongly encourage you, because I think the remembering here is not just an intellectual recall, but a remembering that affects you and does something to cause you to want to grow more like Christ. I would encourage you to think about who around you, whether student, whether staff, whether teachers, whoever it was, that maybe you just take a moment, find them, and just say something like this. I just want to thank God for your example. I want to thank God for your faithfulness. I want to thank God and tell you how much I appreciate really how you've modeled loving Christ. I know it's not perfect. I get that. But what you have done has ignited in me a passion to want to be more like the Savior, to love him more, to want to follow him more. I would encourage you around those tables, just look for someone, find someone. Again, it's not the exaltation. It's thanking God for that one that has been used to draw me to the Savior. And there's another thing I would suggest. Not only do we need to maybe think about and remember those who have impacted our lives and really express our appreciation for that and thankfulness to God. Now, you can do that to the Lord, and you should. But I'm telling you, there's great encouragement when you let them know Christ has been seen in their life. Second thing I would do is this. I'd remind you that people are going to be looking at your life, and they are looking at your life. They are seeing how you live. And really, maybe your prayer, my prayer, should be something like this. Lord, would you so ignite in me a love for you and a love for your word and a passion to live for you that it will be that very same thing to others who follow behind that it will ignite in them that kind of love, that kind of passion, and that desire to follow Christ. That's what I think Hebrews 13, 7 is trying to encourage us to do. And that's my best attempt at doing a devotional. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the things you've done things you've taught us, things that you have, we know, obviously worked in us and made us by your grace, your children, and by your grace, continually, progressively sanctifying us so that we become more and more like your son. Thank you for all of that. We know that none of that would happen because of our own selves and something in us that we could do to make us love you, follow you, believe you, trust you. None of those things are really the result of our human efforts. They are the result of your grace. And Lord, we want to thank you for that and praise you for that. And we want to also remember today that one of your gifts of grace to us is also to place people in our lives whose conduct, whose faith we want to imitate because they are pointing us to you and causing us to want to be more like your son. So would you take this whole weekend, the time that we have together, and the time that we interact with each other, to bring much encouragement to us where needed, to strengthen us, to go and resolve, to live our lives in such a passionate way that it will also ignite and stir up in others a desire to follow and love you as well. If you'll do that, Lord, we'll, 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 we'll have found great joy in what's happening here this weekend. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.